Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello, Rank Squad, and welcome to Ranks FC. It's time for your Champions League final preview show. I'm very, very excited about this one. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host there. And I'm joined by the rank of Mr. Sam Tai. How you doing, mate? Hello, mate. Very well. Very excited for this final. Uh, it's going to be a really interesting clash. Two very different styles, two very different teams. This is the sort of thing I like to see. And we're going to get into why or how that might break down and what, that, what kind of result, or what kind of game that might introduced to us over the course of the episode so following on from last week with the uh, Europa League I love these I love these episodes I love the end of the season when it comes to this kind of occasion yeah there's lots of fun lots of fun and of course our transfer guru Mr Dean Jones how you doing mate yeah I'm good mate I'm just trying to figure out how I'm going to watch this game it dawned on me 
about 24 hours ago but i'm at a wedding on saturday and i have dropped a message into the wedding group that we've got among our mates um said oh how big's the screen mate at the wedding reception that we're watching <laughs> the champions league final on and he hasn't replied um now he's actually a footballer so there's going to be quite a few football people at this wedding um i don't know if we're going to be huddled around a, a phone whether i should bring the ipad hmm. not sure i've got to figure bring this out lads i can't miss it can i bring the ipad no, you mustn't do you think you i should bring the ipad yeah. Bring the iPad, yeah. yeah, or just bring a TV. Turn up at the wedding reception with a TV. <laughs> be like, they're like, "What are you doing?" Like, I'm just sorting the Champions League final out for the lads. Don't worry about me. I'll be over there. It'll be uh, very, very impressive. Um, right, we're going to be talking about Saturday's final in Istanbul between Manchester City and Inter. It's lots of fun, and as Sam said, two very differing styles. There's bits we're going to get into in the second part of this show. We're going to be discussing the reasons that both teams feel they can come out on top of this clash. But before we do that, I think it's probably time to recap just how they got here. We'll start with City. They are nominally the home team in Istanbul. Um, they won their group. Uh, they had Borussia Dortmund, Sevilla and Copenhagen in their group. They won four, drew two, scored 14 and conceded just twice. Um, they beat Sevilla 4-0 on the opening day, beat Dortmund, beat Copenhagen 5-0 at the Etihad. Then they drew twice. They drew 0-0 with Copenhagen and then Borussia Dortmund before beating Sevilla on the final day. They drew one all away at Leipzig in the first leg of the round of 16 before beating them 7-0. Now, the Etihad to record an 8-1 aggregate win. Not a small win, that one. They then drew Bayern Munich. They won 3-0 at the Etihad at home and then drew one all away to record a 4-1 aggregate win there. Uh, And then they drew Real Madrid. They drew one all away from home. This is becoming a bit of a theme, this. The one all Mm. draws away from home in the knockout round uh, before winning 4-0 at the Etihad, 5-1. So Leipzig, who have just won the DFB Pokal, Bayern Munich, who won the Bundesliga, and Real Madrid, the kings of this competition, dispatched 8-1, 4-1, and 5-1 on aggregate in subsequent rounds. I think it's quite safe to say, Dean, that City's run to this final has not been an easy one, and they have made it look easy. Well, eventually, yeah, and um, because they've had two matches against all of these teams. Now, obviously, what we've got here is a one-off game, and Man City haven't had that up to this point. And in... Every away game, apart from that first one uh, in Sevilla on the 6th of September, which they won 4-0, they haven't won away in Europe since then. All of their matches ended in draws, like you, like you kind of hinted towards there, which is, is really interesting. Um, and it's been fine. It's been an absolutely fine strategy. But Man City are a different beast at the Etihad compared to what they've been on the road and they employ different tactics in in both scenarios and this is technically an away match so yeah I mean if we if you're thinking oh I'm gonna go for a 4-0 City win or something I'm not saying that can't happen but just be a bit cautious about what Man City have been content with when they're away from the Etihad because yeah it's been um it's been a different strategy and there's been a bit less emphasis on putting the foot down um, because they've been wary of, of getting hit and how they managed the game. So I do, I did find that looking back on this, that was the most surprising aspect was that, yeah, since the opening day of the Champions League, they haven't got a win away from home. I think it's going to be quite a surprise for some people to hear that actually um, the atmosphere 
on these Champions League evenings at the Etihad has been phenomenal. Uh, it's a bit of a running joke, isn't it, on Twitter uh, and on football Twitter sometimes, uh, being called the empty had and things like that. Uh, but generally speaking, that's been largely misplaced as an accusation. I think it's been way overblown and often just completely untrue. And I think Champions League nights this season in particular, some of the atmospheres that we have seen at the Etihad when City, particularly when they're bringing that game home against Real Madrid, having gone out and, and stayed in it at the Bernabeu, absolutely phenomenal stuff. And it's not something that a, this City team, I think, necessarily need. They, they don't need poking in the right direction by a ferocious home fan uh, atmosphere um, because they're good enough to get almost any job done regardless. But with that behind them, these home games have been genuinely spectacular sometimes in terms of performance. And I found it one of the most interesting parts of their run, um, if only because it's mostly shut football Twitter up for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's very, very interesting to see how this develops. I mean, as you say, circumstance plays a part, right? And I think that's important because you're looking at what, what's kind of gone on here and away to Leipzig, who are a, a tricky side, perfectly fine to come out with a draw. The, the draw against Bayern Munich after being 3-0 up, perfectly acceptable. And then Real Madrid to get out of the Bernabeu with a one-all draw, absolutely fine. So, I, I mean, I think that the, the approach probably is slightly different in these games than maybe it will be in the final. But I think it's definitely something worth worth considering. Um, let's go to Inter. Uh, they finished second in their Champions League group behind Bayern Munich, who they lost to both home and away in the group stages, 2-0 on both occasions. They beat Victoria Plazenia 2-0 away. They beat Barcelona 1-0 at home. They drew 3-0 with Barcelona at Camp Nou, which was basically the game that secured their progression into the into the knockout rounds at Barcelona's expense before dispatching Victoria Plazenia 4-0 at home to seal that. Uh, they have had an interesting route through the knockout phases. They beat Porto 1-0 at San Siro. And then drew nil all at the Jagal. They beat Benfica two nil away, which I think was maybe the most impressive result um, of this entire of this entire campaign in, in the Champions League. Actually, it was a it was a really really impressive performance uh, against Benfica. And then the three all at home was a chaotic encounter that sort of felt like it was already dead by the time the game really sprang into life. And then they dispatched their cross city rivals Milan two nil in the nominal away leg uh, they share a ground obviously and then won one nil in their nominal home leg to progress three nil on aggregate it's been I, I think up and down probably Sam those two losses to Bayern Munich looked very routine back in the group stages but since then Inter felt relatively in control I think for a lot of this knockout stage yeah it was it was strange that the group stage was was basically done by match day four um yeah. You know, you've got this. You've got this setup of Bayern Munich, Barcelona, and Inter all stuffed into the same group, and it's it's the sort of thing you look at when the draw is made, and you go, "Oh, that's fantastic! That is that is uh, potentially a group of death." Um, obviously, may, some may argue not because Victoria Plazenia, poor Victoria Plazenia, you know, are the fourth team, and they just get battered by everybody. Um, but those three in one group, where only two can survive and two can go through, that's pretty tasty stuff. Um, and of course, with Bayern Munich, you know, ending up winning all of their games and becoming the dominant force in this group, it really came down to Inter and Barca in that double header, match day three, match day four, where they played each other back to back. And it was it was seven days between the games because of the fixture crunch ahead of the World Cup. You know, they had to get the Champions League group stage done that by the end of November, usually match day six comes right at the start of December. 
it was really intense that was and they all knew it was a, a basically a playoff for second place it did not come without its controversy there were some uh, conspiracy claims from barcelona fans about handball decisions given and not given in their games one against bayern munich with a pedri goal and then against inter where dumfries appeared to handle the ball and to be honest it's basically the same situation as Jack Grealish at the weekend, which was given. So you would have expected it to be given. So there's all sorts of conspiracy theories there. Barca fans, if you ask them, Inter lucky to get out of the group. And then from my perspective as well, of course, moving into the knockouts, I mean, you guys know as well as I did, I doubted them at pretty much every turn here, I think, from yeah. the moment they got out of the group. So I was like, yeah, they're not going to win that game. And they just kept on going and going and proving me wrong. Um, they were very close to going out against Porto. They managed to hang on. But since that point, those four games that have followed, Benfica twice, Milan twice, very, very impressive stuff. Yeah, yeah, I, I think the the two games against the, the Portuguese sides in particular, we know how tricky a beast Porto can be at the Jogal and to, to not let them score there was very, very impressive. And Benfica have been flying. I think they went into that game as, as favourites and into put them to the sword in Lisbon. So very, very impressive, I think, across that. And it, it leaves us with a final, uh, as you say, Sam, of two differing teams who've had two slightly different routes to get here. You'd imagine Man City have, have beaten the bigger guns. And I wonder how much that idea will play into the fact that, you know, obviously Inter were beaten twice comfortably by Bayern Munich in the group stages. And at this point, we've just seen... Manchester City dispatched by and relatively comfortably themselves, but it is equally a final and anything can happen. And, and that was ages ago. <laughs> was it? That is true. That yeah. is true. And in Istanbul in particular, we've known, we've known strange things to happen in the Champions League final. Right after the break, we're going to be talking about the two teams and the reasons that both of them believe that they can win this Champions League final. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it's time to go in a little bit deeper on these two teams and look at just how they feel they can win this final. We're going to start with Manchester City as the home team on this occasion, in inverted commas. So Dean Jones, floor's yours for a mini ranking. Yeah, so I think um, I want to begin by just talking about how this team has, has really evolved this season and one of the aspects of their play that Inter probably wouldn't really have come up against before. Um and that's largely the John Stones role, like the way that, that City have, have adapted uh, to using him uh, just to basically play wherever he wants, like he's playing five aside, um, but start at the back and work your way forward, mate. But it's um, it's been an absolute masterstroke from Pep, the way that he's um, adapted this role to suit John Stones and just really goes to show what a genius uh, Guardiola can be. I know um, not everyone would have watched all of these games uh, under Man City when Stones has been doing this, but I'm sure everybody's seen a little bit of the way that he moves out of the back line. He starts as a centre-back and he does revert back there too, like when they're on the back foot and they'll go back to a back four. But so much of the time, City do play with a back three now and, you know, it's probably a nightmare for any, um, you know, uh, scores apps or anything like that that have to stick out the lineups at the start of a game to to decide what they're going to put as Man City's formation, where they're going to stick the players because it's not really a correct answer. I mean, you could line them up as a 4-3-3, but it's largely wrong for most of the game because City will step out of that and it'll be a three at the back, often like a, a 3-2-4-1 or, or some sort of, you know, a variation of that. 
do often get back there, as I say, to defending as a four, and that's what is really important here. But what happens with John Stones is this is really edgy, and I think it's different to when Cancelo did it as a fullback, is that he steps out of that that defence and he becomes another midfielder. And since he started doing it, very, very few opponents have come up with a, a way to resolve it. I think largely it's because forwards don't want to track him. Like if you're a forward and, you, and you're a defender, the guy that's supposed to be worrying about you is ignoring you and going to do his own thing and playing further up the pitch. It, it gives you a, a really strange conundrum and one that Lautaro and Lukaku won't have come up with too often. Obviously, they'd have been addressing this in the preparation for this game. But to actually do it in a match situation is going to be tough. And I think it always gives Man City an advantage. If you think back to when he first started this role... I think the Leipzig game was the first time it was probably run out and they won 7-0. <laughs> now, it was a game that obviously will be remembered for Holland scoring so many goals. But since then, like City have just changed and everything has improved going forward, but also going backwards. So there was an optostats that, that showed that since Stones has begun doing this, City have scored per game 3.2, up from 2.3 per game. Like, that's a ridiculous rise. Big and jump. it's not really the sort of knock-on effect you would expect a centre-back to have on just adapting his role to become, well, like a defensive pivot player, really. I mean, Stones does find himself further up from that. I mean, look, at times you'll see John Stones revert, um, defending in a four, and a minute later, he'll be on the edge of the opponent's box. Like he's, it's absolutely insane. Like the way that he's he's done this. But equally, this change in role, City are conceding 0.5 goals per game. And before he was doing this, it was 0.9. There's a massive decrease, and it's just insane how well this has worked and and what a success it's been for Man City. Now, Inter have to work out how to combat this. Like, we know what we're getting from Inter in terms of hustle and pressing and intensity at times. But this is totally different. This is totally different strategy to anything else they've come up against. And, yeah, Man City just, just do it so effectively and efficiently by this stage that I think, tactically, it's going to be absolutely fascinating to see in a Champions League final. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. It's it's such an interesting role, right? And and it's been talked about in such detail and such depth that it's kind of hard to, to add anything new to the conversation. I think, but those stats I'd not heard before, and that that's incredible to be able to have that kind of effect on both ends of the pitch from a tactical tweak. And obviously, major credit should go to Stones to Barzi Beckenbauer himself. Yeah, I mean, what a personal rise for him too. Yeah, yeah. But also the the kind of nous of Pep Guardiola to see that and and develop that role to fit him so perfectly is remarkable. Mm. And yeah. he's done that what basically in response to the fact that Cancelo suddenly left. Yeah. So he's remodeled the entire team in space of about a month into Literally. something even better, having lost one of the world's best fullbacks. Cancelo had mastered it, obviously, like the inverted fallback thing, and like we just go wandering, and like obviously teams have since tried to copy that from you know Arsenal doing it themselves. But Pep's like, oh, that's I guess a bit annoying. So what am I going to do here? Oh, maybe John Stones could just do that from the centre. Like what? Mm. Like 
There were no signs. I mean, obviously, John Stones has shown in past he can be a decent central midfielder, but you know, to get him to go to this level of like complication and like this is yeah. this is such focus. And so this this is the this is the role that Phil Jones should have played when oh, he signed absolutely. for Man United. Like he's the one. It should have been Phil. Oh, what a shame it wasn't. Maybe he can go and do this at Salford or something, Phil Jones, <laughs> next season. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, that 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 may that may be. It yeah, brings a new element to the whole. You know, sometimes we get these players like Phil Jones was. It was like, is he a centre back or a bo- or a box to box mid? We're not sure. Doesn't matter mm. anymore. That used to be a problem. Now it's yeah. like, oh, fine, making the new John Stones. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, I was joking at the start about saying, you know, he's basically doing what you do in five aside, but you, this is genuinely the yeah. kind of thing you do see in five aside. So I'm like, I'll just hit the back here. And then you're like, hang on, mate, where are you going? Like, and then you've got a <laughs> player that's just like so good. He can just wander around, but he makes sure that he's back in yeah. time. Basically what John Stones is doing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Let's, let's move on mm. to number two then, shall we? Yeah, so they've got this player, number nine, he wears, called Erling Haaland. Um, been a <laughs> really good him. signing for them. Really good signing. Um, got 52 goals. Like You've probably seen his name <laughs> crop up here and there. Um, <laughs> he's, he's about to complete English football in his first season. Um, so, yeah, it, it's going pretty well for him. Hang on, he didn't, win, he didn't now, win the League Cup, mate. The lads at Carabao will have something to say about him completing English football. I'll tell you that for free. I'm not sure. Did he actually play in the Carabao Cup? I don't even. Um, I don't know if he, if he actually ran him out for those ones, to be honest. Um, but uh, look on a on a deeper level, like if you if you analyse Haaland going into this this final, it, it's quite interesting because he hasn't actually scored that many goals recently. Like for all the, for all the goals he scored, like they kind of dried up. Like at the end of April, um, in May, he only scored two goals. Uh, one in a win against West Ham, uh, which was a three 0 win, and there was another three win, three nil win over Everton that he scored in. Didn't score in any of the other games, and actually, the big games. If you think like, okay, so what what fixtures should we be looking at? Okay, well the the Champions League semi final, obviously, the the Real Madrid games. Haaland didn't score. Okay, so what about the FA Cup final? Well, Haaland didn't score. And it's like mm, that is interesting, but it, I think that's a a positive of this Man City team because for earlier on in the season, people are talking about how Haaland has affected this Man City team and that they're so reliant on him scoring the goals. Well, actually, when they've really needed the goals in those big occasions, it's been like Gundogan or Kevin De Bruyne that, that stepped forward from the old era Say no, it's okay. We can still do this. Like Haaland, doesn't matter if he's not having a goal scoring day. He's putting in. He's enough of a presence and a menace that, however many touches he has in this game and whether he finds the net, doesn't really matter because we are still going to get into the right positions in the same positions um, that we normally would be. Um, he is Haaland, the, still the leading goal scorer from this season's Champions League. He's got 12 goals in the Champions League this season. Now, obviously, five of those came in, in a single match when they beat RB Leipzig 7-0. Um, but, you know, his overall record in this competition is outrageous. He's got 35 goals in 29 Champions League matches. It's absolutely ridiculous. Like that, He's 23 years old hmm. and he's got 35 goals in the Champions League already. Like, he's got another 10 years or so to be playing in this tournament. I don't know what sort of numbers we're going to be looking at, but even Cristiano Ronaldo might be a little worried about that record he's got. Um, so we have to see. Now, 
How will they use Haaland in this game depends, obviously, what, what tactics they employ. We know that City have basically two routes, we've talked about on various occasions. They like to pass out the back, we know that. Inter might not allow that, in which case they might just over, go over the top and into Haaland and see if they can get him in behind. I don't know which version of Haaland we'll actually be seeing here. But look, even if he's having a low touch rate, Guardiola typically laughs that off. He doesn't care how many ha- touches Haaland has across a game. He doesn't care if he only has nine touches in this Champions League final. They could be the nine most effective touches of any player across these 90 minutes. So yeah, a fascinating one for Haaland to see if he can finish the season uh, with a goal blitz. You never know. Might be none. Could be a Champions League hat-trick. That's part of the fun. I think it's really interesting this and and I really like the fact that you've brought up the I'm gonna say not gonna say duck because that feels unfair but the the lack of goals in in both the FA Cup final and the Champions League semi-final because there is an element and as you said about earlier on it felt like everything had to go through Holland or City couldn't score now there is this dimensional kind of shift in the fact that Everyone is capable of goals. Gundogan, apparently, most of all in these big stages. But, you know, you have Gundogan, Kevin De Bruyne, Jack Grealish, Bernardo, Bernardo. Silva. Bernardo scoring the two big goals against against Madrid. And part of it, I think, is that space is finally starting to open up. And with this system that Pep's put in, that other players are exploiting the fact that defenders are so drawn to Haaland in a way that maybe we didn't see earlier in the season where everyone kind of was like, oh, we should just look for him. He's he's the big Norwegian goal machine. Yeah. And it just feels like City have settled into that stride. And suddenly everyone's like, oh, okay, I can still shoot. I can still score. I can still make chances myself. Not everything has to go through Haaland. But in the same way that defenders are drawn to him, you know, City or Inter are going to have their hands full, you know, three centre-backs, sure. There are other players who are going to look to exploit the gaps made by the fact that people are concerned about giving Holland even an inch of space. Yeah, and you've even saw that obviously with the first goal they scored in the FA Cup final. Like Pep's plan there, like obviously he didn't know they were going to score within 13 seconds, but there was an um, an intention there to immediately get the ball into that United back line, give Haaland a header to win. And then play off of it, right? Play off, you know, who's going to track the runs of of the people coming through? And that is the key here. Who, the runs that they make off of Haaland are obviously key a lot of the time. But the way that City went about that game straight from the kickoff, Gundogan even taking the kickoff, going all the way back, hitting it long, Haaland wins his header, and Gundogan just, just smashes one in. Like, yeah, that, that's unlikely to come about in that exact form again. But the fact that they wanted to immediately get the ball into that United back line, test them physically against Haaland and give them something to worry about, and it worked, that that's just another aspect that the Inter are going to have to combat to because that first aerial duel literally set the tone of where Man City were going in the game. And, you know, in the end for them, luckily, it didn't count for nothing and, and... the goal proved to be crucial, but yeah, it's it's very very hard to contain. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. He's he's just a very difficult man to to deal with. So good player, good good player, good footballer, good footballer. <laughs> yeah, I highly rate him and enjoy him. We don't know how much long we don't know how long he'll actually be in the Premier League. This guy, like, we shouldn't forget. Like, there's every intention it seems to get him to Spain. Like, 
in a reasonably short amount of time. Like, I don't think he intends to be in England more than three seasons. Doesn't seem like the player that's going to settle anywhere. Just wants to do like a, a world tour, make sure that everybody has nothing to throw at him at the end of his career, that he's conquered it all. And um, uh, yeah, I'll be surprised if he's in English football for, for more than three seasons. But uh, the first one, it's gone pretty well. And that takes me on to the third and number one point really is that City have got a treble uh, within their reach here. And it's all the self-belief is there this time around in the Champions League. And I think that that is the aspect that's been missing in, in previous seasons, which we've addressed before when we've been talking on the review show about what this Man City side give you. And, you know, going into that semi-final against Real Madrid, I'd said all season that, you know, I'm back in Madrid. I'm back in Madrid. They will win this. They will win this tournament. They just, they have the edge. They've got that specialness to them. And then they came up against Man City. I was like, they won't win this one though, because this is two legs. This is a two-legged Man City team who absolutely know that they are the best team in Europe right now, and that over two legs you you won't be able to beat them. And you know, with that with that mentality, they did what they had to in the first game. De Bruyne got the goal um, that helped them uh, at the Bernabeu. And then they smashed them 4-0, obviously, in the, in the second semi, which is an absolutely ludicrous scoreline. Absolutely ludicrous. So they are going into a Champions League final against Inter Milan, who, you know, they are probably on about par with Real Madrid, like given how the seasons have gone for the two teams. I'd say at the moment, like Inter probably a bit higher in terms of where they, their expectations and their levels are. But realistically, Man City will see no reason why they couldn't win this game by four if everything went well. And you look back at their results across this season and of recently how they've gone about it. Um, and they're just very, very confident, happy team with how things have gone. Take the Brentford one out of the equation because it really doesn't matter. They, they obviously rested everyone because they'd already won the title by that stage. And you've got a team here that, that are content. Now, what I think as part of this we we have to talk about is that, like we talked about with the, the Champions League run and how it's gone, and away from home, they have been content with draws. I think we should be aware that the away strategy is very different from the home strategy and they don't look for a pile-on in the first half. What's the neutral strategy, given that's what this yeah. game is? Well, it's well, it's surely the, what we well, saw against, against Manchester it. United in the FA Cup final, right? <laughs> well, I see this as an away fixture, right? So it's basically anything away from the Etihad is different to what you see at the Etihad. They don't look to blitz teams early on. Now, they got the goal against United, but they still didn't run away with that first half. And by half-time, to be honest, I didn't know which way that game was going to fall. So that was an interesting way, because if that had happened at the Etihad, if City had gone 1-0 up in 13 seconds at the Etihad against Man United, I think it probably could have been 3-0 by half-time, to be honest, at Wembley it could have. If they'd gone 2-0 up with that Rodri header, who knows what would have happened. But yeah, they're happy to be a bit more cagey um, and just settle settle things down. They don't score loads of goals when they're on the road. So you take that Madrid away, Bayern away, they scored one goal at each, even the Leipzig one. Uh, sorry, they scored zero in one of them. But one goal has genuinely, generally been deemed to be enough in most matches. Um, even looking at the Premier League, okay, so they scored three at Everton and they got a couple at Fulham. Apart from that, there's been many times in the last few months when one's been an, enough for them. They've scored one at Brighton, they scored one at Palace recently. So... I don't think that 
this is a game where we should be expecting a blitz. It can happen. But I don't think if City gets a half time of this game and it's nil nil, do not think that this City team are suddenly thinking things aren't going well. Because I think actually they all think that things are going fine if this game is is nil nil at the break. And I think actually Inter might be a bit scared even still if that is the case. That like both teams would probably be content with a with a draw at half time. But the efficiency of this Man City team at seeing things out the the options that they've got to bring off the bench. That was the difference in the cup final too. When you looked at who they could bring on to change that game, when it was 1-1, when you're thinking, okay, well, so who have Man United got that could change a game? Really, anyone. And then you're looking at City and you're thinking, oh my God, like, what will they even go for? What route to go are they going to choose? Who Who's going to be the man that actually makes the breakthrough? Alvarez, Mares, Foden. Like, what what combination are they going to go for and attack here? So I just think that the overall power of this Man City squad combined with that elite mentality, which they finally have coming into such a big game, is something that they've never had before. And combine that with the fact that they're about to complete a treble, is just too good to be true and too good for Pep Guardiola to, to pass up. Probably never going to be on a plate like this for him again in uh, in his time at Man City. And I can't see him letting it pass him by. I can't see that Pep Guardiola has not got his hands on this trophy on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I can understand it. I mean, look, Inter don't have a treble on the line, but they have a tripletta of their own, right? They won the Super Cup. The Coppa Italia. This would this would combine to make three trophies for them this season as well. So it's probably worth remembering that. But it's not quite the same, I don't think. And uh, with that, we should probably flip the script and, and talk a little bit about Inter. So Sam, I'm going to hand over to you. Yeah, I mean, I did kind of get the short straw in terms of the club distribution. I think everyone is aware that City are are the favourites for this game, uh, and rightly so. Uh, that's because they are generally acknowledged as the best team in the world right now, and I would I would go along with that sentiment. Um, but I will consider this my punishment, my deserved punishment, for doubting Inter at every turn and then being forced to talk about them in the context of a Champions League final. I deserve this, so here we go. Um, but ultimately, I'll start with this. At number three, it's a final, and we all know that anything can happen in a final. Yes, the better team usually wins. But in the context of a single game in the Champions League, as we've already referenced, as Dean has sort of explained, this is different. This is different to how City have been able to sort of chomp through this competition. They're not going to be able to employ the same two-legged strategy and therefore they're going to have to change things up a bit. How does that affect them? I don't know. We'll have to see. Will they be the better team, Inter? (sighs) Almost certainly not. In In terms of football played, almost certainly they will not be the better team. But we have some pretty recent evidence to suggest that that won't actually matter because they just won a cup final in which they were clearly second best for a good portion of the game. They won it against Fiorentina, the Coppa Italia. They went one down in the second minute. They didn't play that well and they had to ride the waves with some late pressure. But ultimately, they scored two goals. One was pretty much from nothing and they managed to come out on top. And this has been a relatively consistent trait of Inter under Simone Inzaghi. They've been an exceptional cup team and this is a cup final. So I'm very reluctant to write them off, even though they're up against the best team in the world. 
because not only do they have this very recent pedigree of winning a final in which they were potentially outplayed, a scenario you can quite clearly see happening on Saturday, but you look at the personnel and it's easy to believe in a lot of these guys who have been around the block and then some that they can pull out one last grizzled performance. And, and that's kind of the way I've described the team really is grizzled. You've got the standout candidates here of Jekko at 37. Um, he'll play 60, 65 minutes, and then they'll bring on Lukaku in his place, who's such a punishing presence as a as an impact player. You've got Acherbi at the centre of defence. He's 35. He's beaten cancer twice. I don't think he's going to be too concerned about the jitters before a Champions League final. You've got Matteo Darmian, Man United former favourite. I'm kidding. Plays right centre-back now for Inter, and he has put on some genuinely monstrous showings in the, the knockouts. Porto in particular, he was phenomenal. Mkhitaryan at 34, seen it all and done nearly all of it himself as well. Chalhanoglu has been around for a long time. And, and, and then one that's obviously a fair bit younger than the players I've just read out, but arguably the most important of all, Lautaro Martinez, who's, who has been around a while, despite being in his mid-20s. And he's the one here. You've got all of this backbone of Inter that you can rely upon on the big occasion. You can rely upon in the final setting. But what you really need is an X factor to to put all of that into practice and grab you a goal. And Lautaro, his unorthodox finishing ability and combine that with his nose for space, he is an absolute nightmare. He really is. And even some of the best centre-backs in the world can have total nightmares and total meltdowns against Lautaro. He's scored 21 goals in the league this season, six assists. That's from 27 starts. I mean, that is literally a goal or an assist per start. Remarkable. Three goals, three assists in the Champions League this season. They've got all sorts of qualities here, but Lautaro is clearly the key. Back him up with all of that veteran presence and the fact that it is a one-game showpiece final. And I can start I can start to believe in Inter, genuinely, because they've got the bones of what I think is key to an upset. And I, make no mistake, it, it would be an upset if they win. But you need to have... You need to have the the pieces in place to actually make it happen. And you need to be able to look at a squad and see that they have the ingredients for an upset. I think you'd be hard pressed to look at this Inter team and decide they don't have it because they do. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I, I think that there's plenty to, to like about them. And, and as you say, it's this is a cup team. And, and Zaghi has kept his head above water in various difficult seasons in Serie A by performing well in cup competitions. They... You say they're dogged, they're grizzled, they they know how to scrap and fight and make things difficult for opponents. And I think that that comparison with the Coppa Italia final is a really important one because there's two things and there's two sides of the coin. If Inter give Man City the kind of space they allowed Fiorentina to attack them, they will be punished. But yeah. on the other side of that... They were able to hang in there despite having very little of the ball and very little of the chances and go ahead. And I remember he kind of came in and Lautaro had scored the second. Like, how on earth are Inter winning this game? And then they went back into their mm. shell and then how they didn't concede again in the end of it, I, I don't think I'll ever know. But the point being that in a game where Fiorentina deserved at least extra time, Inter were able to just scrap through and grind it out. And we've seen them do it before. And I do wonder if Inter can grab a shock lead, if they will be able to just frustrate Man City to the point of 
breakdown because they are so, so experienced at doing this. They're so experienced at winning big games in big settings. They have just come through maybe the most emotionally grueling tie that they could have come through to get here in terms of a two-legged Derby della Madonnina to get to the Champions League final. You know, they're the kind of games you can't lose, right? You come into those games, you're like, wow, if we lose this, we're going to go down forever as a team that lost the Madonnina semi-final. And that is a scary prospect. And they sailed through that game. Yes, Milan weren't very good. Fine. Milan didn't offer that much. But you still have to go out and win those games. And they did it. And, and that's, for me, what, what gives Inter a, a puncher's chance, I think, in, in this final. I don't think that they are the better team. I think that, that Man City are rightly favourites. But a team with this kind of attitude, their ability to win in games where they haven't been the better side, and the fact that they're emotionally tried and tested in these circumstances, they got a puncher's chance. Hmm. Yeah, Dino, you're worried yet? Managed to. Yeah. I mean, I'm not worried. I don't care who wins. But um... <laughs> no, you're fighting City's corner. I'm fighting Inter's. No, yeah. I'm trying to convince you here. You, you did get into my head a little bit there. You did you did get into my head a little bit. And do you know what? I, I was thinking, because like in that FA Cup final, like I think Inter Milan are better than Man United. And Man United kept themselves in that final. And if they'd have had Alautaro, they could well have won it. And so that that does actually make me think a little bit. Like if City have only got a narrow lead or it is tightly poised, then yeah, they've actually got, two, three difference makers that actually can force that that goal that really matters, haven't they? For sure, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a, <laughs> it's a game of football, man. Anything can happen in that respect. And yeah, Inter, I think, have been very good at keeping themselves close and keeping themselves in games. And that is a, that is a great quality to have in this scenario, for sure. Um, all right, let's move on to, to number two then. And for the next two, I'll, I'll get a little bit more tactical in terms of what I expect from Inter and how this game plays out and how it kind of changes things. And I'm going to focus on the goalkeeper, Andre Onana, who's in his first first campaign with Inter. Um, and he has been absolutely sensational. He had to wait to get into this team initially. They wanted to give Samir Handanovic, you know, the start of the season, the initial run out of respect for him. And then not long, to be fair, but I think it was roughly about six, seven games in, they were like... Okay, time to bring Onana in. And it's not something Handanovic had done wrong. It's that this this is a genuinely exceptional goalkeeper. So shot-stopping-wise, I think he's been fantastic over the course of the knockouts. Um, a really important presence. He didn't have to do all that much against Milan in the two legs in the semi-final, which is obviously great because it means his defence is sorting, is sorting them out. But against Porto in particular, very late on, he was forced into some pretty ridiculous things and he's passed all the tests. But... It's not actually the shot stopping that's attracting me here. And obviously that's going to be important. You're going to be under pressure. It's the fact that pressing Onana is very, very difficult. And that's because he's very, very good on the ball. Very modern goalkeeper. Very, very good at retaining possession. And very good at chipping the ball over the press. It takes a certain amount of composure um, and technique as well in order to do this, particularly against full-fledged, like well-rehearsed presses like the one that City are going to try and unleash. But he's been able to consistently switch the point of build-up by flicking the ball left or right. And he can use left or right foot as well. And the ball is always very clean, very crisp, into the wing back, maybe up to Dzeko. He's always got four or five options. And he's been really, really good at just picking the ball up and skipping it over the press. So, 
this is going to be really, really annoying for Pep Guardiola. Like, don't like don't understate how much this is going to infuriate him when he's trying to produce his pressing plan. Because City will want to apply pressure to Inter. They will want to try and create mistakes. They will want to push up. But he's going to find it really hard to dial something up that really, really irritates or impedes Andre Onana because he is exceptional at this. It's the sort of problem Pep would come into uh, come into contact with if he was forced to draw up his own pressing plan to annoy his own goalkeeper, Edison, because there are similarities. Mm. So this would affect City. This would affect how they press. How It would affect how effectively they think they can press. And it will therefore affect all sorts of things as a knock-on effect, like how high can you push? Where's your line of engagement? How high is your defensive line? Where do you station your midfield? What are the gaps between the lines? All of this needs to probably be redesigned because Andre Onana is really good at clipping the ball over a press. Mm. It's that simple. But it's a massive part of this game because it will inform how aggressive City are and where they put their lines and which angles they press from and what their pressing triggers are. Usually they would press a goalkeeper. Can they afford to do that when Onana's this good? I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I, I, I like yeah. this as a point. And I actually think there's a there's a comparison to be drawn in... The fact that, and, and look, before I get hammered about this, I know that that team that played against Brentford was not a full strength Manchester City. It was a rotated team, but Brentford got joy and they got joy at the Etihad as well, much earlier on in the season because David Raya was capable of clipping the ball over the Manchester City press and Brentford, you know, for all of their, all of their, their various bits and bobs are actually a pretty direct team. It doesn't mean that they play horrible football. It doesn't mean anything like that. They just like to get the ball into Ivan Tony, who flicks the ball on a lot for Mbwemo or Vissa to run onto behind the defensive line. It's part of Thomas Frank's strategy at Brentford. And it's worked against City twice this season. And I think that when you look at that and you look at the way that they struggled, maybe, maybe the first game is more important here than the second game. In, in terms of that last end of season game, the actual mm. thing about this is is actually that City didn't come to terms with that particularly well in, in either of those occasions. And that will give into hope. And, you know, yes, I think obviously you have to take that second game with a pinch of salt. But there have definitely been times this season where City have struggled with that. Now, whether this means that someone's going to tuck inside to engage and they'll have a sweeper player looking in behind to try and deal with those runs from Lautaro or Barella bursting for him from midfield, fine. You know, I'm, I'm sure Pep will have a plan. I think, in fact, I've never been more sure of anything in my entire life. But <laughs> it has been proven to work against City at times this season. And it's an area where Inter are really strong. And so I think it's a really important point, Sam. Yeah, and it's sort of look. I'll I'll use it as a segue to lead us into the number one point because it's it's related to number two, but it's also tapping into what we're talking about here. It is it is genuinely the art of skipping over Man City's press, and this doesn't necessarily pertain to Onana like it can do, but it's more the fact that Inter can obviously go straight to Jeco, and then later in the game when he's run his race, they can go straight to Lukaku. Teams that are in a position to do that are probably more likely to be primed to have success against them because playing through City with the ball on the deck is a total nightmare. And it's become even more difficult in the last three months for reasons that Dean has hinted at, but we'll, we'll get to in a moment. But just the actual, just the, the the very rudimentary point of they can just lump it to Dzeko. It sounds awful, but Dzeko will stand on the halfway line. Lautaro will stand five or six yards away from him and they will pump the ball up to Dzeko and he will scrap and fight and claw for all of those balls. And he will make 
life on the halfway line for Man City's defenders an absolute misery. He will scrap for everything. And he may not win the ball cleanly, but Lautaro, I mentioned earlier, his his nose for space is so good. That's mostly a reference to the fact that he can get into spaces in the box, like the ceiling goal in the second leg against Milan that you saw, where somehow he had five yards of space in the box, despite there being eight or nine people in it. That also applies to the fact that he's really good at picking up these second balls. He's really good at judging the bounce or judging what Dzeko is going to do and just latching onto them. And once once they've got the ball down with three touches on the halfway line, they've got you in transition and they're running and they're surging. And, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to deal with them there because the, the wing backs start to push forward. You know, DeMarco up on the left is often the out ball. So Dzeko down to Lautaro, he'll spray it out horizontally left to DeMarco. He'll run onto the ball in space. Might be, you know, support from Barella, Mkhitaryan, whatever it is, once they've got you turned like that and they've gone past your first eight players, it is obviously much more difficult to contain them. And this is particularly important nowadays when you play against City because the way John Stones is playing at the moment, City's counter-pressing has probably never been better. So if you try to play the ball through them, you've now got Stones and Rodri and the central column of the pitch is absolutely packed. Like their ability to, to stop you from playing out with the ball on the deck it, I don't think it's ever looked better, ever looked smoother. And John Stones and Rodri is a big part of this. If you can just completely remove them from the equation, don't allow them to step forward on and onto you. And you could just make it a 1v1 on the halfway, the Dzeko against Ruben Diaz or whoever it is, you stand a much better chance of getting forward 40, 50 yards and then we'll see what happens. So again, I would go back to the previous point, which is like, can you see the bones of an upset there? Are the, are the right players in place to potentially push City's buttons? Unequivocally, yes. Of course, there still needs to be an awful lot that goes for you. You need execution. You need everything to go well for you, really. But the route to goal is there. And it's, a, it's you know, they don't mind not having the ball. They don't mind going long. It doesn't matter to them that City will, will, will squeeze this game to within an inch of its life. It doesn't matter. That's how Inter, that's how Inter operates, how they thrive. I think that's probably the most important point there. Just being able to play in a way that negates City's big strength and the one that has led to that decrease in goals per game that Dean referenced at 0.5. Yeah, yeah, I I think it's really impressive. And and look, when you you kind of look at what they're bringing to the table here, how City are going to deal with that is is a big part of how this works. And look, I I want to talk a little bit about the midfield battle very briefly in in part three of this. I'm not going to go into it just quite as deeply here. But I, th- I think that there there are definitely reasons to believe. And, and look, I'm sure a lot of people would have come into this podcast expecting to hear that City are, are overwhelming favourites and there's not much anyone can do to stop them. Because at, at times this season, it has felt like they are the juggernaut that rolls over everybody, right? And there are points in this campaign, and I think especially in that Real Madrid second leg, where City made the greatest team in this tournament's history and one of the most talented teams on earth look like a passing drill. And that that's an incredibly scary thing to kind of come up against in a final. But mm. there are plenty of reasons, I think. And I think you've summarized them really nicely there, Sam, for, for Inter belie- to believe here. And look, you throw into that the kind of more emotive bits and bobs of it from the fact that they will want to preserve their status in a very elite club of treble winners. You know, and they they have that that accolade that sits within the bank that they're not going to want to invite someone else into the club. You know, United obviously tried to stall City's invitation into the treble winners club at the weekend and failed. Inter will be looking to do the same here. 
Um, but I think there's there's more to it than that. And there are plenty of things that Inzaghi can do. He has proved time and time again that he's able to innovate in these situations and, and deal with things in, in a different manner. And I think Inter are a nasty side to come up against in a final for a variety of reasons, but also because some of their strengths just negate the best bits of City's game. And, and, and that's going to be very, very interesting to watch on Saturday in Istanbul. Right, we're going to talk a little bit about the tactical battles very briefly in part three. So we'll see you there. Okay, so welcome back, Jack. You have heard the three arguments that I've made for City, that Sam has made for Inter. Is there anything we've missed? Come on, it's your time to shine. We need some uh, decisive factors here as whether I can be swayed that Man City aren't going to win this Champions League final. Yeah, well, I think there's one big one that nobody's talked about and... It wouldn't be a Ranks FC podcast talking about Inter if I wasn't going to talk about Nicola Barella, was it? <laughs> he is one of my favourite players on the planet. And I also think that his battle here in this game, potentially with Rodri, is one of the most interesting caveats of all of it. Because Inter play in such a sort of strange, unusual shape in terms of, of their midfield that it makes them very difficult to, you know, to play against. And obviously we've seen various sort of iterations of Inter and, and various bits and bobs. But the role that Barella plays where he sort of drifts in this sort of right half space, I suppose, in, in midfield, behind the two strikers, he's given that right license to roam by the defensive midfielder behind him, by the right centre-back, which might well be Damian in, in this case, behind him, and with his wing-back, which will be Dumfries, outside of him. He's basically given this license to Rome. And we saw in various games, most notably, I think, in, in the Benfica game, that Barella's ability to make things happen in those areas and his ability just to pick the correct pass, to make the correct run, to dive into space is something that teams really struggle to deal with. And he comes up here, I think, sort of nominally against Rodri, who will play on the left side of that two midfield shield for for Manchester City if Stones steps forward into, into that right-hand space. So when we see this come up and, and we see what happens here between Rodri and Barella, I think it's going to be very interesting to watch the first five, ten minutes of this because if Barella looks to stick on Rodri, it is going to provide something very interesting in a both out of possession and in possession sense. So if Barella is tight to Rodri, trying to stop him playing out of the back, trying to drill into those spaces where City have looked to launch their attacks from the base of that midfield, one, it's going to be interesting to see how tight he gets and how pushed up Barella is to the two strikers in order to try and force that press. And two, if I was Inzaghi, what I'd be saying to Barella is get him booked. Get him booked early on. Get into his head, get around him, try and take the ball around him, try and just, you know, a couple of off-the-shoulder darts and stop him being able to make the fouls in transition that City have been so good at in stopping teams getting at them with this sort of 3-2 shape. And if you can get into those kind of areas, and we saw something of this battle take place previously when Italy have played Spain and Barella being able to make the difference in those kind of areas, in those channels and, and be able to then open himself up for the rest of the game to be able to make those spaces to link with Lautaro. You know, we saw that goal in the Coppa Italia final against Fiorentina and obviously the finish from Lautaro was absolutely exquisite and was taking every plaudit that it possibly could get. 
But the ability for Barella to make space on the edge of the box, to look up and to pick that pass into Lautaro is, is sublime. And if he can get into those areas, kind of find those spaces between the three at the back and the two in midfield and feed the two strikers in front of him, I think there's a real chance that Barella is a major difference maker in this final. And if City are going to stifle Inter, they've got to close that, they've got to close that channel down really, really quickly because it's not something you want to see him getting into stride. If you're a City fan watching this, the last thing you want is Barella starting to have fun. You don't want Barella enjoying himself in this final. And so that kind of push up there on, on that side. And if you, if you look at the way that City set up and the way that Inter set up, it's going to be very interesting to see if, you know, whoever plays at the base of this midfield. I mean, I think it will be Brozovic just for kind of the sake of uh, of giving themselves well, some maybe, defensive uh, uh. security. I don't know. <laughs> but yes, I mean, but who knows? The, I mean, he hasn't, He he's lost his spot, hasn't he? Ultimately. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he played in the think, Atlanta game. You'd think they'd bring... You'd think they'd bring in one of the world's best number sixes to play number six in the Champions League final, but I've been thinking that for about three months, mate, and they haven't done it. We'll see. He's played in the last. He's played in the last two games, which I think is is, is interesting. What's, Obviously, there's been rotation. What's the Mkhitaryan fitness situation is probably the the key here, because yeah, if Mickey uh, isn't, if Mickey isn't fit, then Chalhanoglu has to go has to go left centre mid. Brozovic is in, so we'll see. I just, I just think that maybe they'll look at that and think, right, he's he's played in the last two games. He's played well in the last two games as well. And actually what we've seen from him is, has been a little bit more defensively cohesive. But then if you do that, is Chalhanoglu going to be the one that pushes up on stones and tries to deal with that issue? Is he going to be the one yeah, that, well, that fires down there? What's the difference? Between the fullbacks and and whether you know who who is going to is Dumfries going to sit back and try and deal with Jack Grealish because that doesn't strike me as Dumfries's game, you know he's someone who is going to look to explode down the wing at any given point, and I'm just intrigued as to you know this battle between the midfield shield and the two floating eights from from Inter and how how both teams deal with that situation and the one on one kind of pressing in the middle of things, but I think Barella is the key and. His battle with Rodri on an individual level, I think, could be the actual moment that decides this Champions League final. Yeah, it should be good fun. Should be good fun. I want. I would like to see Barella pull Rodri out into some really uncomfortable places, if possible. Um, but it will depend on how much of the ball into have and how how well they can retain it. Because you can't you can't really pull Rodri out of position if you're not in if you're not in settled possession. Um, it's going to be very difficult. If he just darts into the channel on a transition, then obviously he'll be picked up by by Manuel Akanji or by Diaz or someone. So a lot of that will depend on how much I think Inter have of the ball. And then the other side of it, of course, is you know potentially a bit of dark arts and you know dribble around him, try and get him booked, try and get in his head, as you said. Could be the key. Could be the key. You've you you've been you've been keying in on Barella, Rodri. Dean's been keying in on Stones. Uh, <laughs> I just think Jekko's going to be the one. <laughs> Go on, Jekko. Go on, mate. 37 now. 37, still going. Still a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's going to be It's going to be very interesting. But there's, there's lots to like about this final. And I'm really excited about it. But yeah, that was that was my two cents to add, just in terms of a very tactical good. battle and, and, and what Barella can bring to the party. So like, if Rodri shuts him down, I think City win this game very, very comfortably. And that's probably as far as I would go with it. Yes, there are other options in here, but I think that so much of 
in just creativity and and drive comes from what Barella brings to the table. Yes, Lautaro can make things happen out of nothing. Yes, Jeko is the focal point for these clip balls forward. But I think without Barella, very little of it ticks. And so if he doesn't start getting on the ball and making things happen in transition, I think it's going to be very, very difficult. So, mm. yeah. Right, before we go, boys, shall we do some predictions? Should we do some predictions? Dean, I'm going to start with you. There's no way Inter Milan don't win this game, is there? I mean, not after those <laughs> arguments. <laughs> um, oh, I'm so torn. Like, part of me just thinks that you could blitz them. But based on what I've been saying about away from the Etihad and seeing how the FA Cup final went, knowing that Inter don't want, won't want to let this run away from them, I'm going to go for a 2-1 Man City win. Yeah. Okay. Sam? Well, I don't know if you remember, but I promised... That if Inter beat Milan, I would predict them to win the final. I don't break my promises. Oh, good. Not like Jack with his press-ups. No. So 1-0 to Inter because I have a gun to my head. Wow. Man (laughs) City not scoring in a Champions League final. I mean, I think if Inter are going to win this game... It's what it's, they're going to win it one nil. I don't think mm. they can outgun them in any <laughs> in any kind of scenario. So if I'm sticking to my promise and I'm going to stop disrespecting into which I I hope has come across over the course of the episode, um, then I'm gonna I'm gonna finish it off with an inter win. But it can't be more than one nil. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the last time City lost a Champions League final, they lost it one nil. So there you go. I don't think it's a particularly mad mad prediction to make. Uh, I think City will get the job done so i'm going to say 3-1 to manchester city Mm. and with that i think it's probably time we call this a day so all that's left for me to do is to say thank you so much to the rank god mr sam ty cheers buddy thank you so much to our chat agree mr dean jones cheers mate i've been jack collins this has been ranks fc we'll be back at the start of next week looking back at the Champions League final. Lots to explore, lots to be excited about. Um, We've got some new bits and bobs coming up for you over the summer with our transfer shows, et cetera, et cetera. But all will be revealed in due course. We do have some news in that we are doing a live show next week uh, after the Champions League final. It's going to be on Wednesday. And we are going to be doing it with Prediction. It's going to be a live stream where you can get involved. Uh, Tickets are going to be available for that. The link to them will be in the description to this podcast. You can jump on, chat with us about all of your favorite transfers and things you want to see happening over the summer. So please do get involved. We'd love to have you there. Tickets are limited. There's not that many of them. So uh, you'll have to get in there quick. But we'd love to have you with us as we discuss some of the biggest transfer news from this summer and things that we think are going to happen in the wild world of the transfer market. So please do have a look in the description for a link to that. My name's been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening as ever. And we will see you very shortly, gang. Take it easy. Peace. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel 
So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. <laughs> 